This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Damian Bolwa, Managing Editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on a special breaking news edition of Fifth and Mission, History Made. Joe Biden picks Senator Kamala Harris to join him on the Democratic presidential ticket. Joining me to talk about why Biden made the pick and what it means for the campaign ahead are Tal Copen, our Washington political correspondent, and Joe Garofoli, our senior political writer and host of the It's All Political podcast. Tall and Joe, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Yes, breaking news today. Exciting day. Breaking news. His- historic news. Tall, tell us the latest. How did this go down with, with Biden picking Kamala Harris? Well, you know, I think anyone at home <laughs> probably saw some of it unfolding in plain view where, you know, over the past several weeks and months, it, it, she was sort of the prohibited favorite from the start. Uh, it there were all these other names popping up, then you'd see the oppo files dump on them and there would be the pieces about the the weak spots in their record. There was the interview process. There was the incessant punditry. Uh, But at the end of the day, you know, what the Biden circle told me he was looking for is someone who was tested on the national stage, uh, that he had a good personal rapport with, um, you know, that could be a historic candidate uh, an addition to the ticket. And it, Kamala Harris just checked all those boxes. You know, she not only has known Biden for years, but she knew his son when they were both attorneys general. Uh, I'm told that, you know, Biden was able to let go of that infamous debate moment. It, it really has felt like momentum was going her way for weeks. And today we got the news that, in fact, that was the pick. Tall, before we go further, I want to linger on that historic aspect of this story. Kamala Harris has an Indian American mother, a Jamaican American father, um, and and she would be the first woman vice president. I mean, um, has she sp- talked about that? I mean, how how much are uh, are you thinking about that today? Well, you know, it's really interesting. When the news broke, I happened to be on the phone with Oakland Congresswoman Barbara Lee for a different story we're working on. She's leading the California delegation to the convention. We were sort of talking about that uh, as we look ahead to that next week. And I got to be the one to break the news to her that it was Kamala Harris because I'm a reporter. I always have Twitter open in front of me. Uh, And, you know, we were all sort of waiting on pins and needles. And she's a longtime Harris supporter. And she was so excited. And, you know, a lot of the time when you're a reporter, you work so fast, you don't have that second to pause and kind of process what is happening in real time. But to be on the phone with Barbara Lee, who herself was a barrier breaking, you know, congresswoman, she came to Congress when there were far fewer women far fewer African-American women, has been an activist for so long. And, you know, she told me that Shirley Chisholm is smiling today in her mind. Uh, the Shirley Chisholm being the first black woman elected to Congress, the first black woman to seek a presidential, you know, um, nomination 
for a major party, you know, to see Kamala Harris make it to the ticket today was was a really big deal for her. And, you know, it's it's there's so much history involved. Kamala Harris doesn't really like to talk about it. She sort of tries to move the conversation off that topic a lot of the time. But I know it also means uh, a tremendous amount to her. And she knows very deeply what she represents to so many Americans who look at her and see a little bit of themselves that they don't normally see in the national, you know, field. And now I'm hearing you try to hustle Barbara Lee off the phone as you're trying to post <laughs> post the story. Gotta go, Representative. Uh, Joe, what's the calculus here for Joe Biden? I know both you and Tal have both written about the, the, the sort of positives and negatives in the balance sheet for Kamala Harris. Yes, uh, Harris brings some positives and negatives to the to the table. On the positive side, uh, Biden said he wanted to pick a woman. Uh, he also uh, was uh, encouraged to pick a woman of color. She is a woman of color. That uh, Democrats hope will help turn out uh, younger folks. Uh, Harris passes for younger. She's 55, 56 years old. And uh, hopefully bring out uh, people of color in, in battleground states like Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. Um, she's also, uh, but she has some negatives. I think if some people on the far left are, uh, don't really trust her. And, and this is something I, we just got, uh, a few moments ago. This is from a, a statement from Roots Action and the Progressive Democrats of America, uh, which is a group that's, uh, largely uh, supportive of Bernie Sanders. And they said, as we saw during her, her own presidential campaign, Kamala Harris is a political weather vane. First, she was for Medicare for all. Then she wasn't. She failed for years to hold police accountable for gross misconduct in California, then touted her commitment to police accountability in the wake of George Floyd's murder, end quote. Um, and then we're also going to see the, the I, you know, we can pretty much guarantee the first negative ad from the Trump campaign is going to be pointing to one of Harris's first actions as San Francisco's district attorney. There's a police officer shot. His name was Isaac Espinoza in the line of duty by a, a gang member. She declined to seek the death penalty uh, for that person. Uh, she was criticized at the time by everyone from uh, Senator Feinstein, who had very nice things to say about her a few moments ago of being uh, named the, the vice presidential nominee, uh, and, and across the Democratic establishment. It shouldn't have been a surprise. She always said she was against the death penalty, but still, she was she was criticized for that. That will become a Trump campaign ad. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know this, but one of my first news stories for The Chronicle was covering Kamala Harris's run for district attorney in San Francisco. And the thing that always sticks out the most is that she ran to the right of Terrence Hallinan, who was a kind of a radical prosecutor, but far to the left of, of Bill Fazio, who was more conservative. And she kind of found that sweet spot, which a lot of California politicians have, like Gavin Newsom. You know, whether it's Libby Schaff, uh, whether it's Ro Khanna, of, of, of being in that a, a little bit in the center there of the Democratic establishment. Um, Tal, you've written a lot about that. Can you kind of tell us where her stops on the road, DA, Attorney General, Senator, how they've all added up to, to where she is today? Well, you actually saw this on the campaign trail. I, you know, it's funny. I went back and looked and exactly a year ago today, I was in Iowa for the state fair and her campaigning across Iowa in the Democratic primary. And you saw her really struggling with her prosecutor record 
on the campaign trail. Now, she and her staff would take issue with me saying that. They would say she never waffled. She was always a reformer. She was always upfront about it. But you could see that her campaign didn't quite know how best to package her record because you had this, on the one hand, something she's very proud of. She really believes that she did important and good work as a prosecutor. You know, she talks about, I remember while I was in Iowa, one of the events I watched her at was a uh, town hall on gun violence prevention. And she talked about sitting with, you know, black and brown mothers who had lost their sons to gun violence in her office and them crying about how no one cared about their sons as victims. She talked, you know, she thinks about these issues in ways that not everyone has the experience to think about them. At the same time, you see from progressives, some progressives, not all, but some progressives, this refrain, Kamala is a cop, is a hashtag. I mean, they just cannot accept the notion that someone who has participated in the law enforcement system can be credible on reform. You know, one of the most memorable attacks against her during the campaign was when Tulsi Gabbard just went after her and talked about how she you know, went after people on marijuana offenses and now is, along with the rest of the Democratic Party, embracing the idea of legalizing marijuana. So for her, her record has always been this very complicated issue where I think it's something she's really proud of. And I think she gets a little bit defensive when anyone implies that it wasn't progressive enough because there's a lot of things she did that were ahead of the curve, including uh, working on a defense, uh, you know, the gay panic defense, uh, in, in fact, prosecuting hate crimes against LGBT people. I mean, there are definitely things she can highlight in her record as reform and progressive minded, but she still is of a time of mass incarceration. So it's it's always been something that she's sort of struggled to completely thread the needle and convince all her critics about. All right, let's take a quick break. More on Joe Biden's historic selection of Kamala Harris as his running mate right after this. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back. I'm Damian Bolwa. This is Fifth and Mission. I'm talking to Tal Copen and Joe Garofoli, two of our political reporters on Joe Biden's selection of Kamala Harris as his vice presidential pick. So, Joe, I want to return a little bit to the calculus. I mean, Kamala Harris is not from a swing state. Um, you know, she, you know, you've written a lot about the, the, the need to excite people who supported Bernie Sanders. Um, and also, um, you, you guys have written about how they famously clashed in a, in a debate. And I wonder, um, you know, I wonder why the selection kind of overcomes some of these things that that uh, that were seen as potential drawbacks for Kamala Harris. Uh, number one, the thing about the 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 where you're, what state you're from, uh, I wouldn't put a whole heck of a lot of stock in that. Joe Biden was from Delaware. Let's all remember, uh, even though they tried to portray him as being from Scranton, Pennsylvania, which was a much more important swing state. Harris, as we alluded to earlier, could help bring out the black vote in 
battleground states, uh, cities in battleground states like uh, Detroit, Michigan, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's and she could also help in other swing states like uh, in Georgia uh, and Arizona as well, uh, where a woman of color might uh, do better to excite the 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 hard to reach voters that Democrats need to turn those states. Um, in terms of uh, other things, I think that the the uh, the, the the clash they had in a debate a while back is not going to be a major factor here. Um, I think that they, they, you know, I think that was made uh, a big deal of by police, by people um, uh, in the aftermath. But I don't I think that's all been forgotten at this point. And and, you know, you mentioned California, you know, one of the people I talked to for my piece uh, is Bakari Sellers, who was a a lawmaker in South Carolina, uh, longtime Harris supporter, Obama before that, and is also a black. And he was telling me, you know, it's one thing to have a candidate that voters will vote for, but you need someone who's going to excite the super voters to go, you know, knock on doors or in a pandemic text their friends, but basically do everything they can to energize everyone around them and also get them excited. And he says that's Kamala Harris. And she actually, leading up to her announcement uh, that she was running for president, which you know, it was two years after joining the Senate, she spent a lot of time campaigning for other candidates all over the South. And that was always an indicator that she was sort of prepping for her own national campaign. I'm sure she was also looking to support those candidates. But the the idea that a woman from Oakland, California can't connect with, you know, a voter in South Carolina was something that she always didn't believe, that she you know, she went to a historically black college and university. She's a member of the Alpha Kappa Alpha uh, black sorority. She's found ways to speak the same language as as voters all over the country. And despite Oakland and San Francisco Democrats reputation in in Republican parlance, uh, she thought it was something. And clearly the Biden campaign thought it was something uh, very translatable all over the country. Uh, And let's not forget that uh Kamala Harris also has a long 20-year history with some major donors in California. California is the political ATM for the Democratic Party in, Cal- in uh, the United States. Uh, she knows those donors. They've She's friendly with them. She's run three statewide campaigns, uh, even though a couple of them you know, did not support her presidential campaign. But she knows them. They know her. And that will help. Tar, what about that moment in July? I think a lot of people recall when Biden and Harris were running for president at the debate. She attacked Biden um, for his his past of opposing mandatory busing um, during the the movement to achieve school integration. Um, Have they put that behind them? My understanding was that Biden was pretty ready to just, you know, let that be water under the bridge. He's run a camp. He's run multiple presidential campaigns before he's been a vice presidential pick after running against someone. He knows how politics works. Uh, there were some others in his orbit who were not as ready to let that go. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, everyone around Biden knew that this had to be Biden's choice. And, you know, it came down to his gut. And if his gut told him it was Harris, they would get on board. And so, you know, I I, I don't know that I could say that there are no hard feelings uh, within Biden world about that moment. 
But in terms of the relationship between Biden and Harris, I it's not going to be an issue for their personal relationship from everything I've heard. And, you know, I mean, yes, it was it was her attacking him. But I think everyone in the Democratic Party is also just they're tweeting about it. They're gleeful about the possibility of her debating Mike Pence. And, you know, I think that there's also an understanding if she can land a blow on me, maybe she can land a blow on someone else in a debate. I think that's the role that you're going to see Harris play during uh, the campaign, during the next 80, 80, so, 80 or so days. She is going to be, uh, she's she's excellent at being sort of the, the traditional attack dog role of the vice presidential nominee. She's done that very well, both in Senate hearings and uh, in the campaign at, at times. Uh, she'll just be pounding on Trump uh, day after day. And, you know, as for the, the, the debate, I mean, that's what the debates are supposed to be for. They're supposed to be about disagreeing. I don't know that this is a very friendly, uh, uh, largely very friendly campaign season for the Democrats. And I think that moment was magnified. Uh, beyond its import. All right. Before before we go, can we give a little lay of the land? What, uh, the Democratic Na- uh, Convention is right around the corner. What happens next? Give us a little bit of a lay of the land. And also, if you could, um, you know, for progressives who might be disappointed in this choice from the Bay Area, how much energy is going to be spent by Kamala Harris on trying to bring some of those folks into the fold? I mean, I'll answer the latter part, Joe, if you want to answer the part about the convention. I'll just say, I don't think Harris, you saw this on the campaign trail. She took progressive positions, but you never saw her exactly trying to sort of suck up to progressives. I think, you know, she she had definitely some difficulty landing on Medicare for all, but she has been a fair, fairly strong progressive in the Senate since she got here in to Washington. I mean, she, you know, was one of the, there's sort of the quote unquote, no caucus. There's only a handful of, coincidentally, most of the people who ended up running for president from the Senate, but Democrats who voted against almost every one of Trump's nominees, even when it was, you know, 87 in favor, they would be against. She was one of those. She voted against an immigration deal, uh, one of only I can't remember the exact number, but four or less senators, uh, Democratic senators who voted against that deal because it wasn't progressive enough. She knows how to take progressive positions. I can see her in the campaign having an attitude of we're going to we're going to be on the right side of policy. But if you are just dead set against her, I mean, I don't know that there's anything she can do to convince you that she's good enough. I think that she has to she she's had enough you know, when you talk about the conversation, is she black enough? She's had enough of these questions in her life that are not always fair about her, uh, that I think she knows how to have a thick skin and do what she sees as her job without getting too sidetracked by some of that criticism. I think, for first of all, for progressives, I think that uh, the uh, over the last couple of months, there was a, a unity team that came together of Bernie Sanders supporters and Joe Biden supporters. They got together to sort of develop a, a common set of policy goals. So I think that might be not not as big a deal uh, to to uh, to Democrats. Uh Notwithstanding the comments we had earlier from some from some progressive members, but I, I don't think that's going to be it. The, the Democrats are so unified at this point of just getting rid of Trump that they may be willing to overlook some of the policy differences if there will be any. As for the convention, it's going to be really strange. I mean, uh, it's how do Democrats, uh, you know, and Republicans for that matter, and in a couple of weeks, generate enthusiasm? 
when you can't uh, do, do it in person. Con- conventions are, are, are about a lot of things. So one of the things they are, they're about are to have grassroots activists from all over the country gather in one place and get really pumped about this ticket and then go back to their communities and, you know, spread the good word. Um, there's going to be none of that. It's all going to be on zoom. It'll be on television. And, uh, it's really hard to get, to get people jacked up for that type of thing. We don't know. We're, we're, we're kind of wondering what it'll be like to cover this. Tal and I have covered many conventions and, and, and it's going to be odd to not be there in the room. So we'll see. All right. Well, we'll see if Kamala Harris can fill some of that role. Tal and Joe, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Hey, thanks. Thanks to my guests today, political reporters Tal Copen and Joe Garofoli, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.